0: Others, we continue in our worship, we pray that you will help us to understand more of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. The disciples must have been terribly disappointed and perhaps even frightened, to see Jesus disappear before their very eyes. After 40 days with him, I wonder if they weren't starting to get used to uh, the idea that he was going to be around for a long time. I suspect that his presence brought to them a, a sense of security. After everything that had happened to him in the days earlier, Now he's with them and and in his presence, there is that sense of it's going to be okay because Jesus is here. Maybe you remember the first time your parents left you at camp or at college. I remember I was excited about starting college, a little nervous, had never met my roommate. We had just moved from Indiana to Oregon, so I didn't know virtually anyone on campus and I was excited about being at school, but I was also uh, had that sort of pit-in-my-stomach feeling as I watched my parents drive away and I turned to walk back to the dorm. There was something in me that sort of wanted to run after them and say, wait, I changed my mind. I don't think I want to stay here. It seemed like as, as they drove away, my security drove with them. Jesus, I think it's in many ways the disciples' security blanket. They want him back. They're they're overwhelmed, frightened, fearful, anxious, nervous, uncertain. I'm sure they're they're wondering, Jesus, why are you leaving us? I don't think we can handle this. How how can this be good for us? And yet the gospel of Luke tells us in, in the very last words that after Jesus ascends, the disciples worship Jesus and return to Jerusalem with great joy. I think it's because they're beginning to believe that all Jesus has promised is coming true. That his leaving is going to bring good things. There is a sense of beginning to trust him in deeper ways. For centuries, the church has called the Easter season. The seven weeks between Easter and Pentecost have called that the great 50 days. And the ascension of Jesus takes place on the 40th. Of the fifty days, that would be this coming Thursday. Now, typically, when uh, when you celebrate Ascension Day on a Sunday, it's usually the Sunday after the Ascension. But since we have a guest speaker next week, we've bumped it up a week, and I think the church fathers would let us get away with that. If your experience is like mine, most evangelical churches, and actually most churches in general don't spend a lot of time talking or thinking about the Ascension. But Christians in many countries of the world do. In some countries, Ascension Day celebrations include processions through the streets, symbolizing Christ's entry into heaven. And in some countries, they chase a a devil uh, through the streets. And when they catch him, they dunk him in a pond. Sometimes they will burn the devil in effigy at the end of the procession. In England... Some people believe that an egg laid on Ascension Day will never go bad. Other places there, if the, if the weather is sunny on Ascension Day, then the summer will be long and hot. And if it's rainy, then uh, you're gonna have, the crops will do badly and livestock will suffer from disease. Sort of sounds like a Christian Groundhog Day or something, it seems like. On Ascension Day in rural communities in Portugal, people make bouquets out of olive branches and sheaves of wheat with poppies and daisies, and a symbol of peace and prosperity. I read about one pastor who really wanted to make the Ascension memorable, and so he hooked himself up to cables and pulleys, and as he preached, an offstage crew hoisted him up into the ceiling. You thought last week was different. That would really be different. I don't know about all of those things, I'm sure they have their place, but I do know that the ascension, though often ignored, is extremely important to our faith and our lives. It's only after the ascension of Jesus that the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Jesus tells the disciples in John's gospel, it's for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. It's only as Jesus leaves that the Spirit comes. The ascension makes it possible for Jesus to intercede for us in the presence of the Father. Romans 8.34 speaks of Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Hebrews 7 speaks of Jesus as our high priest who always lives to intercede for us. An amazing image that the crucified, risen, ascended, incarnate Son is speaking to the Father on our behalf. And that doesn't mean that the Father is against us or the Father has to be coerced into helping us or being good to us. It's simply the expression of Christ's love for us. It's only because Jesus ascends that he is able to come back for us. If Jesus doesn't ascend bodily and go away from us, then he cannot return bodily to bring about the resurrection of the dead, to bring about that, the fulfillment of God's eternal plan. And Jesus speaks often of his bodily return to earth. It's that day that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15, when the dead in Christ will rise, that day that Jesus describes as coming like a thief in the night. How can Jesus come if he doesn't go? And so because he has gone, we pray as the people of John's revelation pray, Come, Lord Jesus. But ultimately, the ascension is the eternal declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord of the church, and of the world, and of all things. The scriptures tell us a number of stories of people who are raised from the dead, Elisha raises raises the Shunammite son. Jesus himself raises a little girl and Lazarus from the dead, and there are others. But all of those people who are raised raised from the dead to life eventually die again. But when Jesus ascends into heaven, his resurrection becomes eternal. Death is ultimately and completely and finally defeated. The Ascension proclaims that Jesus is again in heaven, and in heaven he is Lord over all. He lives. There's no sphere in the world or in life in which Christ has no rights. No sphere in life in which Christ's followers have no access to his victory. Nothing is out of bounds to Christ. Christ. Hitler once said to the pastors in Germany, you can deal with heaven, but the German people belong to me. But the Ascension cries out, no way. Christ is Lord of all. I don't think it's coincidental that the building where Adolf Hitler lived as an art student in Vienna in 1909 now houses a United Methodist Church. The ascension doesn't mean that Christ is removed from the world. It means that Christ is now ruler over all the world. All power and authority are his, he tells his disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel. And that authority is over the church and over the world, over all things. Someone once said the manner of Jesus going wasn't like a retreat, it was an advance. It spoke of victory, not defeat. It was not a departure, it was an ascension. And it was the revelation of Christ as God, the completed, final triumph of the resurrected Christ. Because Jesus ascends to heaven, the final outcome of history, our history, and everyone else's history, is not in the hands of those who may seem to grasp all the power in the world. The ascension reminds us that what looks like power in this world isn't. And what looks like weakness in this world isn't. And the ascension gives both purpose and hope to our struggles, redeems the tragedies and defeats of history and of our lives, turns despair into hope. For the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever, King of kings and Lord of lords. In verse 6 of Acts 1, the disciples asked the resurrected Christ, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answered, it's not for you to know times and dates, things that the Father has set by his own authority. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we read that, and it sounds like Jesus is answering no to their question. But maybe he's answering yes. Miraculously, maybe he's answering no and yes. It's no because this isn't about Israel becoming a great political nation once again, because that's not what the kingdom of God is about in Christ. And it's a yes because he's restoring the kingdom to his new Israel, the church, his followers. And he says to them, you may not understand because you're looking at times and dates that you can hang your hats on. But times and dates are limited to the realm of what you can do on your own. My kingdom is bigger and greater than you. So I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, as it's not been upon you before, you'll witness my kingdom. You'll do so in Jerusalem and Judea, those places where you feel most comfortable. And in Samaria, those places around you that you'd really rather avoid. And to the ends of the earth, to every pagan person in every pagan land. And the book of Acts is the story of this promise set into motion. The kingdom of Israel restored on earth as the new Israel. Culminating eventually in the resurrection of the dead and the new heaven and the new earth. And the ascension, as recorded in Acts 1, sets up the rest of the book and the rest of the New Testament and the rest of history. It's a precursor to the new heaven and the new earth, on which the resurrected Christ will dwell and work. And we will be with him, dwelling and working, in order to fulfill perfectly our prayer, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. To make that promise possible, Jesus ascends before their very eyes. And the two angels say to the stunned crowd, He's gone, but He's coming back. In the meantime, you all have work to do for the kingdom. You get the feeling that it begins to dawn on them that the restoration of the kingdom of Israel is going to be accomplished by the Spirit working through them. And through all who follow them in Christ, by the power of Christ, who is Lord of all. And Christ is with us in a a myriad of ways, through his word and through the Holy Spirit and and through the church, the gathered body of Christ, and through the sacraments, particularly the Lord's Supper. When we eat and drink from this table, we remember what God has done in Christ and we give thanks. Thanks. And we also remember that Christ is present with us now through the Holy Spirit, forming us, shaping us, restoring us, healing us. And we give thanks. But we also remember what Christ has promised that is yet to come. Christ has ascended because he's returning. We eat and drink now to celebrate that day when all who are turned to Christ will gather around the eternal table, eating the marriage supper of the Lamb, feasting with Him forever. The ascension tells us that Jesus, who is with us, is also greater than us, directing us, helping us, reigning over us. He sent the Spirit to be with us. The ascension is essential to understanding that Jesus rules earth because he rules heaven. And when we understand the ascension as the next stage in the revelation of Jesus as Lord over the world and the church and us, then it sets us to the task of our mission as the church, working for Christ and with Christ to move toward the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Because Christ ascends, we actually have the privilege of of representing Christ to one another and to the whole world, but always in the power of Christ, who is Lord over all. It's in his power, and only in his power, that Jesus makes the remarkable statement to his disciples in John 14, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And that would be remarkable enough. And then he goes on to say, you will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Greater things than Jesus. Not because of us, but because of the power of the ascended Christ, who is Lord of all. When you begin to see your life in Christ like that, you begin to understand the words of N.T. Wright, who says, to embrace the ascension is to to heave a sigh of relief, to give up the struggle to be God, and with it the inevitable despair of our constant failure to be God, and to enjoy our status as creatures, image-bearing creatures who live and love and work in the power of Christ, who is Lord of all. You have to wonder what it was like in heaven when Jesus returned. must have been some kind of celebration. Jesus had just completed the most dangerous and most important mission of all time. He had faced every temptation, never given in to sin stood up to the intense hatred of people and did so with truth and love. And he could have called legions of angels to rescue him, but he willingly obeyed the Father and fulfilled his mission of giving up his life as a sacrifice to bring people back to God. And He destroyed death. And now he's returned in victory. And the Father welcomes Jesus home And he's seated on the right hand of the Father. He's been given all authority over all things. We celebrate the ascension. Because all heaven celebrates the victorious return of the Son. The Lamb who was slain. The Lion who conquered. The one who in joy and power declares all authority in heaven and on earth. Has been given to me. And now through my spirit I give it to you. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. We bow in worship and adoration. We open our hearts and our lives that we might be His people on His earth. Well, Lord our God, by Your great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope. You've given us this hope through the resurrection of Your Son, And you've given us an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfailing. We recognize that once we were no people, but now we are your people. Declaring the wonderful deeds of Jesus Christ who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We declare today that you alone are God. You created form from the void and light from darkness and life from the dust of the earth. And even when we turned away from your goodness, your mercy was not turned aside. You brought us out of slavery, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and set before us the way of life. You love the world so much. You gave your only son, Jesus Christ, that the world might be saved through him. Your spirit anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to release the captives and give sight to the blind and freedom to the oppressed. He healed the sick and fed the hungry and ate with sinners and won for you a new people by water and spirit. By the baptism of his death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant. At his ascension, you exalted him to sit at your right hand, where according to his promise, he is with us always, baptizing us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Father, as we remember Christ's life on this earth, we remember the night in which he offered himself up for us. On that night, he took bread and gave thanks to you, and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, and he gave thanks to you, and he gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, as we remember all of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we pray that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts. That in the breaking of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ, be renewed as his body and transformed into his likeness, that we might faithfully serve him in the world and look forward to his coming and final victory. Amen.